Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A quiet, upscale neighborhood turns into a murder scene when a gorgeous stay-at-home mom of two sons is not only brutally murdered in her own basement, but then dismembered. Disturbingly, chilling video emerges from doorbell cams that show the killer pulling the dismembered body of this young mom up the sidewalk nearly a half a mile away from her home and then just leaving her body there, literally leaving a trail of blood leading back to the family home side door. The only thing we don't know is who murdered Asaya. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to our friends at PIX11. Police are still trying to figure out who is pulling this duffel bag containing the body of murder victim, 51-year-old Orsolia Gall, a married mother of two teenaged boys. It's an eerie photo provided to PIX11 by police sources who also say the killer used the victim's cell phone and sent a text to her husband that read, your whole family is next. I couldn't imagine why, why this would happen to her. I just couldn't imagine. Uh, and I hope the husband's able to handle it. Dr. Carl Adler says he used to see Gall and her husband as patients. He says he was devastated when he heard she had been killed, her body stuffed in a duffel bag and dragged half a mile from the family's Juno Street home. They were very nice people. She's a very lovely woman, very kind and a good mother. And I was just devastated. As crime scene detectives continue to gather evidence from inside the family's home, neighbors are still baffled. Hopefully they find whoever did it. You are hearing reporter Maggie Hickey, but now take a listen to Kendi Corrado picks 11. Our police sources are revealing new details to us this morning about what happened the night of Orshia Gall's murder, including the chilling text that her killer allegedly sent from her phone. Crime scene investigators were inside her home on Juno Street overnight. There has been a constant police presence around the clock. This is a very fluid and developing situation, but this is what we know so far. According to our police sources, the 51-year-old mother of two told her youngest son she was going out to see a show Friday night. At some point, a man who she knew caught up with her and that is the man police believe murdered Gall in her basement. He reportedly dragged her out in a duffel bag and dumped the bag about half a mile away. A man walking his dog discovered it early Saturday morning. All we have right now is a picture of that suspect from a neighbor's surveillance camera. Our sources tell us that this man then sent a text to Gall's husband from her phone saying quote your wife sent me to jail some years ago. I'm back. Don't call the police or I will kill your family. Wow. Why would a killer take the time and basically give away his identity by sending that text with me to make sense of what we know right now? An all-star panel, Matthew Mangino, attorney, former district attorney, author of The Executioner's Toll, Dr. Angela Arnold, renowned psychiatrist, joining us from the Atlanta jurisdiction at AngelaArnoldMD.com, Mona Kay private investigator at Mona Kay Investigations, renowned medical examiner. You know him well. All you have to do is turn on your TV to see this guy, Dr. Michael Bodden, who I consider to be a longtime friend and colleague, former chief medical examiner in New York, 
and past co-director, New York State Police Medico-Legal Investigations Unit. But first, to special guests joining us in the New York Post, the Police Bureau Chief, Tina Moore. Tina, thank you for being with us. Tell me the chronology, the timeline of what we know. I mean, I've got so many questions, Tina. Do we know she really went out? Did she really go out with friends? I mean, how did this guy get to her home? What, did he hitchhike there because there's no car driving in or out? Did he ride with her? How did the 13-year-old son sleep through the whole thing? But you know what? Let's start at the beginning. Go ahead, Tina Moore. So police sources tell us that she did go out with her friends. They talked to the friends. Mm -hmm. She went to a show in Manhattan. We don't know what show exactly. And then she went back to her, uh, to Queens, uh, and she went to a bar there. And police sources tell us they have her on video at that bar for about 40 minutes. Uh, She looks like she's waiting for somebody, but that person never shows up. Um, And she goes home, and that's around midnight. Um, And after that, it's not clear what happens. Somebody gets into the house, uh, and somebody kills her on the first floor and then takes her to the basement. Um, And then we see the hockey bag um, rolling down the street, uh, and later her body is later discovered in that bag in the morning. Now, the structure, it looks to me to be at least two stories, if not three, and there's a basement as well. I'm trying to figure out how the 13-year-old son, Leo Klein, could be all the way at the top and never hear a thing. I guess it is possible. Yeah, I mean, he's 13. You know how teenagers are. I, you know, I, I don't I want to say for sure, but it's possible he's on his, he's got headphones on, he's listening to music, he's not paying attention, he's watching TV, something to that effect. You know, I'm, I'm very curious about why the text message is basically staging the scene. But first, I want to go to Dr. Michael Bodden, former chief medical examiner, New York. Dr. Biden, thank you so much for being with us. It's a real honor and a privilege. Good to be with you, Nancy. Dr. Biden, we are now hearing a clarification. We've been told 60, but more like 58, but a lot of defensive wounds to the inside of the palm and the inside of the fingers. Clearly defensive wounds. What do you make of this? Well, uh, number one, uh, the the number, whether 58 or 60, uh, and they're difficult to count at autopsy. You know, they're... (laughs) Good point. Different, so that, uh, and I, like you say, the uh, cut, cuts may be one or two or three cut wounds or one cut wound. But uh, this wasn't a stranger. I mean, strangers don't do that. They're, they don't uh, stick around and overkill somebody. Uh, and now you have three people involved here, you know, the, the son, the husband, not there, but arranging it or whoever this stranger is uh, that uh, may have come in who knew her, uh, you know, if, if she somehow lost consciousness immediately, um, uh, then the, uh, another individual could come in, uh, knock her out, uh, or stab her, she does. So there's no, not much noise, and then somehow dismembers her. Uh, according to the uh, media, uh, that's bizarre. And uh, this doctor, uh, I'm not sure that was mentioned, Dr. Adler, who made the comments, had seen them. Um, uh, I wonder, was he a psychiatrist seeing them in, in uh, marriage counseling or just uh, primary? Yeah, that was interesting, Dr. Bodden, because he said, I guess a neighbor stated he had treated them was he a family practitioner? Was he a marriage counselor? But when you're are treating a group of people, 
I think, either counseling or a family practitioner that just saw everybody. Uh, that's a lot of theories, uh, Dr. Bodden, that you're throwing out right there. A lot of theories. You mentioned um, multiple people being involved. You mentioned the husband. Right now, no one has been charged. Police are saying they may have a person of interest. We don't know who that is. Um, Dr. Bodden, let me talk to you about one thing you said at the very beginning. It reminds me of the Jody Arias case. Remember ta us talking about that, where she stabbed? Well, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, she tr stabbed Travis Alexander, her lover, about 28, 29 times, and then shot him in the head. As you said, kill them many times over. But the overlapping stab wounds, it's really hard with that many stab wounds to determine how many there really are. Why? Well, uh their stab wounds, it depends how deep they are. Some are superficial. Some are, are defense wounds. It sounds, if she's got a, a, a bunch of uh, wounds on her hands, it may be that she was uh, defending herself. Now, if she's defending herself, then it takes a she's a She doesn't go unconscious right away. And there's more likely to be a noise that uh, others could uh, hear. But uh, this uh, business that you that was brought up that uh, the dragging means that whoever did it didn't have a car is an interesting thought also. Uh, that if uh, normally uh, if a stranger comes comes in a car and puts a, 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 not a stranger but an assignation somebody came to see her that she was waiting for in the bar. Uh, they'd come with a car and they wouldn't be dragging out the person on the street. Absolutely. I mean, to you, Mona Kay, joining me with Mona Kay Investigations out of Omaha. Mona, uh, well, the first thing I asked Dr. Biden, Dr. Biden was about the multiple stab wounds. It's my understanding that when you stab over and over, many of the stab wounds actually go into previous stab wounds. And since flesh is not immovable, it's really hard to determine how many stab wounds there are, at least 58, which when I go to Dr. Angela Arnold can explain what that means about the killer. But Mona Kay, private investigator, joining us out of Omaha. I mean, if I had to get rid of a dead body, I can guarantee you I would not put it in my son's black Bauer hockey bag and drag it in plain view down the street, literally leaving a trail of blood to my side door. And then just go about a, after half a mile, go, ah, I'm tired. I'll just leave it on the sidewalk. What? That doesn't even make any sense. No, exactly. That was my first thought. Who, you know, with all of the surveillance um, cameras, you know, on doorbells now, um, obviously that's probably where the initial surveillance footage was picked up. But, um, you know, where did the duffel bag come from? Was it, did her sons play hockey? Did it come from the house? Did somebody bring the bag there? Um, you know, same with the knife or what, what, you know, did the knife come from the home? Did the perpetrator bring it into the house? But, you know, how many people are going to drag a body in a duffel bag around a neighborhood out to a busy street and leave it? Who's going to take that chance? You know what it's reminding me of, Mona Kay? It's reminding me of Robert Blake. Robert Blake who killed his wife, Bonnie Lee Bakley, even though a jury said he did not. I still say he did. Mm -hmm. Remember, in that case, the killer couldn't 
for many reasons, get too far from the crime scene. So the killer had to dispose of a weapon in a dumpster a block or two away from the restaurant. Couldn't leave. Right. It didn't fit in with the fact scenario the killer had fabricated. In that case, right. uh, Robert Blake had gone to a restaurant with his wife. She went to the car. He said, oh, I left my gun in the restaurant. He goes back in. And in that those few minutes, the killer attacks Bonnie Lee Bakley. No sex attack, no robbery. Shoots her in the head, and the gun is found a block or two away. Interesting, right? In this case, the killer did not get far from the home with the body. No. I mean, for Pete's no. sake, dump it in a river, bury it, put it in a trash dump. Anything except yeah. a half a mile from the home, from the murder scene, on the sidewalk. It's like screaming, right. hi, I'm a dead body in the duffel bag. Come and get me and call police. It's just so obvious, Mona, who would do mm -hmm. that? Right. What, what was the point of taking the body from the home? Why not leave her body there? Exactly. And to you, uh, Matthew Mangino, a high-profile lawyer, former prosecutor, Matthew, unless the killer was wearing gloves, that bag, if it's got a handlebar, and that home is going to be covered with bloody fingerprints. I haven't heard anything about the murder weapon being recovered yet, but unless the perp's wearing gloves, they're going to be bloody fingerprints and shoe prints. You're right, Nancy, and and I think uh, investigators are probably holding back some information that they have, uh, particularly with uh, any uh, physical evidence, uh, fingerprints, shoe prints, things like that that might be in the home. Uh, you know, as well as as the uh, murder weapon. Was it from within the home, or or was it uh, taken out of the home uh, after the the murder? You know, I, I think everything at this point, at least initially, if I was investigating this, would, would point to somebody inside the home. Okay, uh, you know, the husband is away in Oregon with with another uh, child. Uh, he receives this mysterious uh, text message about killing the whole family. Why? Why would somebody send a, a message like that? Um, you know, we, we know that conveniently there's there's a bag uh, with wheels on it that you can uh, put the body in, so you can will it away from the home. So, so at this point, um, even though the husband may not be physically involved, I don't think you can uh, look away from some other involvement in this some way or somebody else in the home because there there was clearly not a break in. Uh, it was. It seemed as though she was someone that she knew, and this was certainly a crime that involved rage when you stab somebody 58 times and mutilate their body. Speaking of the husband, which, of course, is the first place you look, take a listen to Our Cut 9, Katie Carrado, PIX11. Police sources tell PIX11 News that Gall's husband and oldest son were out of town Friday night when Gall reportedly went out with another man who then murdered her in her basement and dragged out her body. According to police sources, a trail of blood led officers back to Gall's home. The killer also reportedly took Gall's phone and texted her husband saying, quote, your whole family is next. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Staging a crime scene. Staging a crime scene. I mean, Dr. Angie Arnold, uh, renowned psychiatrist, joining us out of the Atlanta jurisdiction. Who sticks around? Random killers 
kill, they rape, they rob, they rape and or they rob, they steal from the home, and they're gone. Who sticks around to dismember a body? For what? You're just going to leave it outside on the sidewalk. Why dismember the body? And also, why send the text? Your wife put me in jail some years ago. What? That's very odd phraseology. Why stage the scene? A random killer would be out of there. Well, I think that in so many things that we've, in so many shows that we've done, Nancy, oftentimes when people stage, when a, when a scene is staged, it's to, it's to put everyone off the track of who actually did it. It's, it's part of the lie. Sta- I, staging of the scene can be part of the lie. The multiple stab wounds, we all know, come from an intense rage. My curiosity is piqued. I want to know, was the family doing family counseling? And what was that all about? To me, this is such a big piece. And I know this story is new, but that's where I want to I want to jump in and find out about what was going on with this family. Back to Tina Moore joining us, special guest, the New York Post Police Bureau Chief. Tina, do you know whether the murder weapon has been recovered? No, I don't know that. That's one that sources have been keeping pretty close uh, guarded. Um, we, we know that they never saw the text messages, though, which is curious. Um, and they're waiting for a subpoena for the phone. So, I mean, that's still all up in the air. That's fun. interesting. Why, why do they have to? You mean they're subpoenaing the records or they're subpoenaing the actual phone? Why doesn't he just hand it over? The actual phone. They have, they have to get a subpoena for it to use it. Why? Hmm. I mean, I, I think that's just the usual thing when you're doing an investigation. If you want to be able to use what's on the phone, you have to legally get the phone. Well, Matthew Mangino, she's right unless you get permission. You can't just for, think of a home. You can't just barge into police unless there are extenuating exigent or emergency circumstances. You have to have a search warrant. Unless you get permission. Why does the, the father just hand over the phone? Right. I mean, uh, you know, the you, you can always get consent, uh, you know, so so if there's not exigent circumstances like you just described uh, or you don't have a search warrant. You simply ask for the phone. And if the party consents, then you're uh, you're in the clear. You don't have any uh, problem with the, with the Fourth Amendment with regard to. Uh, an unlawful search and seizure. So it, it, it would seem strange in this scenario that the father who talked about the message, uh, who, who said that his family was in danger when he was contacted by the media, would now be reluctant to turn that phone over uh, to the police. Now, on, on the other hand, if the police have seen uh, the messages, uh, but they want to get a search warrant just for whatever purposes that might make them uh, feel like they have a stronger situation in terms of the phone. That may be. Whoa, but, but, whoa, whoa. I heard what you just said, Mangino. Yes. Makes them feel they've got a stronger situation with the phone. In other words, when one day it's contested in court that they took the phone without permission, they want to make sure they had a warrant to CYA cover their behind. Right. Yeah. But why that, would they no need to cover either. their behind? From the dad's phone. Well, because it's it's this is an evolving I- investigation, and, and and as we said earlier, as, as I said, I would I w- I don't I'm looking at inside the home right now. I'm looking at people who know her intimately, which would be family members. So I want to make sure that, as you said, CYA, I have a search warrant if in the future somebody turns into a suspect that I don't 
I might not think is a suspect right now. Tina Moore, I find that incredibly interesting, curious, that they need a search warrant for the dad's phone. But maybe it is out of an abundance of caution, crossing their T's and dotting their I's. But under the law, if the person gives you consent, gives you permission, hey, can I come in your house? Sure. Come on in, officer. That's what consent is. Hey, we need to look at your phone. Here. Here it is. That's totally constitutional. Right. You think if somebody was, you think if you're completely innocent, you turn your phone over, right? So we have absolutely confirmed that the dad was in Oregon with the older son, who, by the way, apparently is an incredibly talented pianist. He is in Oregon at the time of the killing, right? No, I haven't seen any any proof, airline, you know, travel records or anything like that. I mean. So that's everything that's a little up in the air right now. And there's a lot of rumors. I'm seeing a lot of stories popping up in different places that I, I can't confirm. And, and people are telling me that's a, r- a rumor that's going around. Be careful. So it's it's very active investigation. So you're saying he may not have been in Oregon. I, I haven't seen any, any proof of that. Well, neither have I. I haven't seen it myself, but I, I've seen other pictures where he was on other college tours with the older son. And it is... And it is said that he was in Oregon. Um, Guys, we are talking about the murder, a horrific and brutal murder of a 50-year-old mother, or Sawyer Gale, the mother of a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old boy murdered in her own home. To Dr. Michael Bodden, former chief medical examiner, New York, Dr. Bodden, when you get a multiple stab wound victim, like this, what does that indicate to you about the killer? We know the killer is a man. It, 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 well, it's been a rage reaction that uh, has been mentioned. But was she also dismembered, uh, as they report? Yes. Um, uh, go go ahead, Tina. I, I, I'm hearing that may not, she may not have been dismembered. It's just she had so many stab wounds on her body that when people looked inside the bag, that's what they thought. Because, yeah, if a person's dismembered, say in a situation like that, it's usually to fit into a uh, a play, some kind of a device to remove the body. So in the old days uh, in New York City, we had uh, dismemberments when uh, this is the old days in the uh, 60s and all, where people be put into steamer trunks or something and sent to California or something. And they ch- chop everything, uh, do the dismemberment to fit into the steamer trunk or into this duffel bag, uh, if that's true. But I think that clearly, from a forensic pathology point of view, it's a rage reaction, as we mentioned. And it's by somebody who uh, knew her or was, if the husband, for example, uh, arranged with somebody to do it. But if they arranged with somebody, they wouldn't be going out and dragging the body in the street. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not a very good arrangement, if that's what the arrangement was. It sounds like uh, kid stuff. <laughs> yes, it does. And it's definitely someone that was mm-hmm. not, didn't have access to a car because Mona Kay, you're the private investigator. Why would you hide the body a couple of blocks from the home on the sidewalk for a dog Leave walker? Leave it in to the come? bathtub or something. I know. Why don't you just put it out at the mailbox? It's just doesn't make any sense. And I want to analyze this text because, you know, the staging of this scene reminds me a little bit of the John Bonet Ramsey case, where the killer of John Bonet Ramsey felt so at home, no fear of being detected, 
that they killed John Bonet, staged her body, and then sat there and wrote not just one, but a practice note and an actual note on the family writing on Patsy's pad using her pen and left it there in the home. I mean, if I had to go in and surreptitiously kill or kidnap somebody, I would try to be in and out. I wouldn't kick back in the den and put my feet up in front of the fireplace and write a rant, two-page ransom note or three-page and a practice one. What? I just, like, in this case, the person was so at home that according to reports, they not only murdered her, but at least partially dismembered her, stuffed her in a bag, took her phone, I guess they knew the code, um, and sent a text to the husband. A very mysterious text. What do you make of that, Mona Kay? So, yeah, the person was definitely, you know, seemed very comfortable in the home. And like you said, needed probably needed the code um, to access her phone. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of the message that was sent. You know, I think it was something about your, your wife sent me to jail years ago. Um, so it was in retaliation. Uh, but, you know, she had defensive wounds. How did the son not hear her fighting back? I mean, and it was, you know, hours later, four or five hours later that they saw, you know, the person rolling the bag down the street. Um, so there was a lot of time there uh, that this person was in the home and and there was no breaking and entering. So the person was let in or had some access into the home. So what about it, Matthew Mangino, this text message why bother with a text message? Why? Why would you do that? Go in, kill, leave. Yeah, and, and the text message, if I understand it, uh, as you described it, uh, you know, it says that you, you know she put me in in jail years before, some years ago. Yes, was some years. Their right. phraseology. Right, and, and and it says you know something that I find peculiar. Don't call the police. What, what, what do you oh, mean don't call right. the police? I'm just going to ignore my chopped up wife in the suitcase. I'm not going to call police. Right. I mean, that, you know, that, that's kind of, uh, you know, a strange thing to put in a text like this. And, and as you said earlier, it's, it, it certainly seems like a contrived uh, text. Uh, you know, there has to be so much evidence, though, in this house, uh, Nancy. Mm. You know, if she was killed on the first floor, brought down into the basement, brought back up in a duffel bag, you know, drugged down the street. There, there has to be a lot of evidence that we don't know about uh, yet in, in this house. And, and, it, and it certainly doesn't sound like a sophisticated, planned uh, murder uh, mm-hmm. of an individual. You know, it, it just doesn't seem to add up when you, when you look at, at the, the text, you look at the body being dragged away in a bag, um, and, and you mix that in with the rage and the, and the type of murder, it, it, again, it really points to somebody inside of the house. Tina Moore joining me, New York Post Police Bureau Chief. I'm hung up on the text message because I think it's very revealing that a killer would take the time to text message, would know who to text message, would have access to her phone. I guess you could do face recognition off her dead body, but... Uh, why bother with the text message that's telling me a lot about the identity of the killer? No one has been named a suspect. What do you make of the text message and the drama 
your wife put me behind bars, some, quote, some years ago. Well, the dad talked about a text message, but like I said, police sources say they haven't seen this message. So, I mean, it doesn't exist. Was it a story uh, up front? I don't, I don't, I don't know. If, if there was a text message. Yes. You know what? You're right. Uh, as of this morning, police still have not seen the text message. Exactly. Well, I, the husband, I believe he tweeted a message at 1.36 a.m. I'm just wondering if that was to establish some type of alibi. Okay, tell me about that, Tina Moore, joining us from the New York Post. The, da- the dad, the husband, wrote a text message at 1.30 in the morning? Yeah, he tweeted, he tweeted at 1.30 in the morning. So, yeah, that might have been to establish an alibi, but <clears throat> he later took that down. What did he tweet? I think that was the tweet about a book he had read. Um, don't ask me the author. I can't remember off yeah. the top of my head. Yeah, I, I believe I read that he tweeted that he was out of town on a college visit. You know, he made that clear. And that he, he tweeted something about a book that he read regarding Putin, I believe. At one thirty in the morning? Yeah, one thirty six a.m. So my initial thought was, you know, is he trying to establish that he's out of town to make that clear? But then the tweet was removed. Why was the tweet removed? I don't know. Only he knows. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Dr. Angela Arnold, number one, I rarely tweet at 1.30 in the morning. I do. I do, however, at 1.30 in the morning. I may be online reading crime stories, and I want to send it to Crime Online or uh, Crime Stories at that moment. But to tweet it out to the general public, I mean, waking up the producers or... That's one thing. But waking up the general public, you know, sending out a, a tweet at 1.30 in the morning, not that that would wake them up, but that's very unusual, is it not, about a book you just read on Putin? And then deleting it. Why would you delete it? It's so unusual, Nancy. And it again, it speaks to what kind of patterns do these people have in their lives? Is this something they typically do? Are they typically tweeting each other at or tweeting out things at 1.30 in the morning, it's, it all looks, it's, it's very unfortunate. It all looks very fishy. Well, I mean, you know, to Matthew Mangino, a tweet does not a murder make. Uh, we may think it's odd, but for him, it may not be odd at all. Uh, Tina Moore, was at 1.30 Eastern or 1.30 Oregon time? You know what? I don't know that for sure. I, I kind of assumed it was Eastern. So if he's in Oregon, you got... What is that, a two-hour difference? Are they on Mountain or Pacific? Three hours. Three. A three-hour. So for him, it wouldn't have been one thirty, which makes it a little bit more normal. And, mm-hmm. in fact, very normal if he's up in bed reading a book and sends out a tweet about the book. But what I find odd about it is that he then deleted it. Why would you do that? Tina Moore, very unusual. I'd say so, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure why he would delete that tweet. It doesn't really make much sense. You can still get the tweet. It's not as if it's going to disappear entirely like everything online. You know, I've heard two things, Tina Moore, that the body was discovered by a jogger and that the body was discovered by a dog walker. Or are they one and the same? I I believe it's a dog walker. I mean, maybe he was jogging, (laughs) you know, but um, he was walking. He was with his dog for sure. No, I picked up that there was two different people that found the bag. 
kind of simultaneously. Somebody, um, a walker came upon the bag and called 911. And oh, about the right, same time, the person walking the dog uh, found the bag also. I heard there was two different people. You know, I'm wondering how we know about the text. The text was sent by the killer to Osalia's or Sawyer's husband, according to him. But as of this morning, Tina Moore, your sources within the police department are saying they have not seen the phone or the text. As of as of late last night, they were saying they hadn't seen the, the text and they were subpoenaing the phone. So something could have happened by now. Do you know, Tina Moore, is this a gated community? No, it's, I don't believe it's a gated community. It's just a, it's a nice area. Obviously, almost everybody has a doorbell ring. So it's, you know, people watch their watch the neighborhood closely. People who live there. I've read a couple of places that there was it was a gated community. And the reason I ask is that would be just one more barrier. Not that you can't get around the gate, but one more barrier for the killer to break through in order to commit the murder. And we also understand, Matthew Mangino, that there was no robbery and no sex attack. Right. Well, and that's, uh, you know, certainly indicative of, you know, something that's unrelated uh, to what we typically think when someone breaks into a home and murders someone, you know, that it's for, for a sexual assault or, or, it's, or it's for a robbery. If neither of those exist, you know, then that eliminates you know, the randomness of this. This isn't uh, just something that happened because of a crime of opportunity. Somebody comes by and decides to rob the house but ends up killing uh, the homeowner. Uh, you know, this, again, is, is a crime of, of rage or passion uh, that was targeted for this specific person. And, and right now, um, you know, we have a very limited pool of suspects uh, because who else is going to be able to have access to the home? Who doesn't have to break in? Who who knows uh, the owner in the home? Uh, you know, those are all issues that really narrow the pool of potential uh, suspects. This is what his t- text says. Mr. Klein refers to an out-of-state trip and a since-deleted tweet. He mentions hedge funder Bill Browder's new book about Vladimir Putin. Quote, just landed Portland, Oregon before evaluating Ann Arbor again with my 17-year-old son. Highly recommend freezing order at Bill Browder. Man, I follow closely and admired. Blah, blah, blah. Russian equities to hedge funds like Hermitage. Okay. Interesting. So that's saying he just landed. Now I'm looking at the killer pulling the body in the hockey bag. It's like a roller board. You know, Tina Moore, the killer is right under a streetlight. And you can see a full moon in the background lighting up the whole neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's scary, eerie video for sure. You know, I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm just thinking, Tina Moore. I mean, Tina, I know you're the police bureau chief at the New York Post, but if you put yourself in the mind of a killer, if you wanted to kill somebody, would you drag their body dismembered in a suitcase up the street? Well, I don't have a car either, but I still wouldn't do that. <laughs> I tell you what, I'd get one. I mean, get an Uber. I mean, I, <laughs> right. get, yeah, I'd get a neighbor. Thanks, Biden. You know what? 
with that comment, I'm going to keep you in, in the medical examiner's office in the lab somewhere. Get an Uber. Okay, kind of like that. Dr. Bodden, no sex attack, no robbery. What does that tell you? You've seen so many homicides. Yeah, I, I agree with everybody else that this is a kind of an inside job, and I think that uh, somehow the uh, husband is involved in it. No one has been named a suspect or a person of interest. Let me just be clear about that. Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying, just involved. <laughs> just uh, emotionally upset about it. But uh, that uh, uh, there's so much information and clues at the scene of where the uh, body was found in the duffel bag and at the scene in the house, the two different scenes that have lots of trace evidence and I suspect they're going to be able to make some kind of arrest in this in about 20, within 24 hours, they'll have this resolved. There's so much evidence around. Okay, I think I've got the answer. Glenn Van Nostrand, out walking his two Rhodesian Ridgebacks on Saturday morning, stumbled across Miss Gale's body in the duffel bag. Uh, the dogs became agitated as they neared the bag. He opened it up and thought at first it was a mannequin, like a crash test dummy, like equipment being used for something. I didn't think anything of it. Then he noticed Orsolia's black jeans and a waist, realized he was looking at a body. Miss Gale was lying in a fetal position. That's what we know. Uh, his two dogs pick up the scent of blood patches, and the cops follow it all the way back to the home. Police are removing items from the family home in boxes and black plastic bags, including a large iMac computer. To you, Matthew Mangino, what do you make of that? Well, I think they're, they're trying to piece together um, the uh, whereabouts of um, Orsolia uh, and, and the telephone conversations that she had, maybe the uh, text uh, messages, maybe the emails, uh, instant messaging, all, all sorts of things that she may have uh, had to, to kind of recreate that night, recreate the days leading up to it. Also to look and see what, what, what other people are doing on uh, the computer as well, what they're looking up, what they're Googling, what they're trying to, to find, uh, you know, how, how, um, how they, you know, maybe the reservations to go to, to Oregon with the son uh, to visit uh, another university. So, so this is all important information, and it's routine information that you're going to look at in every case uh, to try to figure out a timeline and the activities of everybody involved uh, leading up into her death. Tina Moore, I'm very curious. Video surveillance sees Orsolia at a bar in her, basically her neighborhood in Queens. Yeah. And she sits there about 40 minutes. It appears as if she's waiting for someone that never shows. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how could they tell that by just by looking at her? She's alone. She's at a bar. Maybe she's looking around. I mean, she's not talking to anybody. Right. Maybe looking back at the door, maybe looking at her watch, mm -hmm. seeing if anybody's coming in. But they they could pick up enough that they believe she was there looking for someone that never showed up. Man, I'd want to get her phone as well. Do we have any idea right. if that's been recovered, Tina? I, I don't. I, I must be. I mean, I would imagine they'd have that by now. Guys, we wait as justice unfolds. Tip line 800-577-TIPS. 800-577-8477.
Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. 